The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world, the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras. I'm here with the lovely Tulsi uh, and our wonderful guests here, Sita Padidas and Prahlad. Thank you guys for joining. I really appreciate it. Hare Krishna. It's great to be here. So um, Sita Padiprabhu has been a um, recurring guest. Uh, he had an amazing podcast, um, maybe like in, quite in like maybe the like 40s or something uh, out of the 100. Uh, one was uh, regarding the jab and then the other one, um, I think we did one with, uh, anyway, we did, we did a few. And I wanted to bring him on because um, I wanted him to talk about what's been going on in his life lately. Uh, regarding the passing of his dear wife, as well as having his son on to to give his perspective as well, and also um, the different Harinams he's been doing uh, across uh, New Zealand, uh, Wellington specifically regarding the protest Harinams. Is that something that devotees do? Should we be a part of that? Let's have that discussion. So, let's start there, Sita Prabhu. Yeah, where do you want to start from? Like um, maybe maybe the beginning of Parambhava's uh, kind of leading up to her passing. Yeah, so maybe Parambhava, a background about her a little bit and and your relationship sure. and things like that. <clears throat> yeah, so Parambhava joined ISKCON in 1986. She was initiated by Kirtan and Swami, and you know the way she told me about it, it was like just literally days after she had joined the temple. New Vrindavan was kicked out of ISKCON and she was like, you know, I really loved like the Sanskrit and everything. But then I like, I joined and then days later, they like, everyone took off their devotional clothes and changed the morning program to English. <laughs> and she was like, I just joined and I had like no idea what was going on, but like, whatever, you know? So right. she was just like all in on that. And, um, she took uh, sannyas cause Kirtan and Andaswami invented this thing of females taking sannyas. So she became a sannyasini. Wow. Nice. And, and she was like collecting in the United States. And then she went to Asia and she was there for five years, um, mainly based in Taiwan, but also spending time in Korea and Malaysia. And she was kind of in that region there when uh, Kirtan and Swami, you know, went on charges and like the whole thing came out and, you know, the big fall down and the collapse of that whole kind of yatra. And so she was kind of caught outside the United States when that happened. Um, at the same time, Dave and Rita Swami had been sent to New Zealand to, you know, find an island or someplace here to create like a missionary training ground for New Vrindavan. And so he was out here and he and Bhakti Siddhanta Swami and um, Chandrasekhar Swami had opened a preaching center in Auckland. And they got in touch with Param and said, hey, come over to New Zealand. So she did that. And that's how she ended up in New Zealand. And she's I American. Her... She's American though. Oh, yeah. 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 She's from Washington, DC. Oh, I totally didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, she, she stayed with Bhakti Tirtaswami, um, at his Institute for Applied Spiritual Technology. Um, I fast 
And um, anyway, there's a whole story about that. She wanted to get initiated by Bhakti Tirta Swami, but she ended up getting initiated by Kirtananda Swami. Um, I met her in 1997 in January in Auckland. And um, they'd, they'd recently come back into ISKCON uh, at that point. And so as part of the coming back into ISKCON, she had to give up the whole sannyasini thing because, you know, that's like bogus, not authorized. So, you know, she'd gone back to being a brahmacharini, I guess you'd say. And yeah, um, yeah we met in January of 1997 at the preaching center in Auckland. We moved down to Wellington to open the preaching center there in, in January of 98. And we got married in April of 1998. Wow. And um, <clears throat> Then, like, um, Parham fell pregnant. We lost that child, and that was, like, New Year's Eve 1999, you know, heading into 99. And doctors at the hospital said, you'll never be able to have children unless you do, like, um, what's it called? Uh, in vitro fertilization, IVF. And so we talked about it, and we said, well, you know, look, it's obviously we want to have children in a family, but it's just seems like too much endeavor to do that. If Krishna wants, we'll have a family. And if he doesn't want, we won't, you know? Mm. And Dave Marita Swami said to us that if you're not going to have children, you got to do something with your life. So you should go and become missionary preachers somewhere and sent us. Um, he gave us options. There was LA, Tokyo or Lima, Peru. And we chose Lima, Peru. We went there for three years and we um, ran the BBT there and ran a temple and a couple of restaurants yeah there was some pretty epic pastimes in south america preaching there and dr gupta lilada gupta he gave us these herbs to take and we were like we'll leave it up to krishna anyway in um south america bhakti tirta swami came down and he said like what are you guys doing down here so we explained it to him and rajanam reminded me of this bhakti tirta swami gave us the benediction that we would have a son Wow, and wow. then Param fell pregnant and Prahlad was born in South America in, uh, in Lima. Wow. And then when he was a year and a half old, Dave Marita Swami said, I'm not going to be coming here anymore. And you guys should move to a better place to bring up your son. So the options there were Auckland, Invercargill or Brisbane, Australia. So we took Brisbane, Australia and we moved there, opened a preaching center there, um, the loft, which later became Atma Yoga. Prahlad grew up there. Um, so he was he was born in South America. Um, he has a New Zealand passport, uh, <laughs> but he grew up in Australia. Wow. Wow. And, you know, then the whole COVID thing hit and, and Parham got diagnosed with breast cancer in 2008. So we had another two pregnancies after Prahlad and we lost both of those children. And my mother said that... Um, one of the things that can lead to breast cancer is if you have like uh, a pregnancy, but the child isn't born for whatever reason, your body undergoes these hormonal changes at the time that the baby would have been born. One of the things that can happen is the ducts in your breast open up and sometimes like some fibers can enter from a bra or something like that. And then that can be the cause of breast cancer. But whatever reason, uh, in 2008, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she did chemotherapy at the time and went into remission and then it came back later and so when covid kicked in i was like you know this is um this looks to me like it's this is the the real deal the the apocalypse that we've always been promised and international travel is going to become a big issue so 
wherever we are on Monday is where we pretty much have to sign up to live and die. And so we came back to New Zealand because that's where uh, my family is. And I was like, anything happens to the two of us, then Pralai will be here in Australia with no family. So we mm. came back right. and yeah, the, you know, the, the cancer just took its, you know, followed its progression. Parham never wanted to do the chemotherapy. Um, she was like really committed to just like, she was super renounced, super renounced, super, um, what's up? Okay. Um, super renounced, super surrendered to Krishna's will and super committed to like, this is how I want to do this. And I always struggled with that in 2008. I was like, kind of more of a scientifically minded person myself. She was into like magical herbs and stuff. And I was like, you know, I know I get that you want to do it this way. Mm. Um, but we have this, our son and, you know, we should try everything that we absolutely can. And so she took the chemotherapy at that point. Um, not really wanting to do it that way. Uh, and it kind of worked and extended seemed to extend life for some time. I mean, at the same time, Prabhupada says no one can extend their life, not even for a moment. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, do you take that seriously or is that just like a cute kind of belief? So I don't know, you know, I take it seriously and by Krishna's will, we got another 10 years or more, 12. And yeah, then it came back with a vengeance and in this how whole long, environment. How long ago was that? Oh, um, probably like 2016 or 17, something like that. Oh, really? It's been a few years yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a few years. We've been living with it. We've been managing it, but the whole COVID kind of environment, you know, shifted things significantly. Um, In what way? And it, well, um, one of the things was that she had anemia, um, like low iron in her blood at the end. And the doctor said, I oh, should get a blood transfusion for this. And I have a God sister who's been involved in the vaccine rollouts in another country. And she said, you know, like this thing, they're giving it to people and then taking blood from them. And they're not segregating the vaccinated and unvaccinated. And from what I've seen of the vaccines we've been giving people, like it's like fatal in a number of cases. So do whatever you can to avoid getting the, um, you know, vaccinated blood supply. So, you know, she said, what you can say is that you'll only take a blood transfusion from a Vaishnava who chants 16 rounds and eats Krishna Prashadam. And I was like, can you do that? And she's like, you can basically do anything, you know? So I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is what we're going to do. So we went into the, the hospital and started that conversation with them. And they were like, this is real complicated and everything. But like, in the meantime, um, while we're pursuing that, take this iron infusion mm. and iron infusion, is something we've done before. So we went in to do the iron infusion and they put us in this ward where everyone else in the ward, the other three people all were vaccine injured. So they'd taken the vaccine and then they were like fainting. One guy had like blacked out, crashed his car. Another one was a 21 year old girl who just started blacking out. And then like a 50 something year old Mexican guy. And they put them all on these heart monitors and gave them these journals and said, you know, write down here when you feel dizzy or anything, we'll correlate it with the heart monitor to see if it's a heart malfunction. And while we were in there, we were there for six hours. We walked into the hospital to get this thing. And, and we were just like 
looking at each other and talking and it's like, if this is what we're seeing on one day and one hospital and one ward, it's either a huge statistical coincidence or there are a lot of people with issues from this vaccine and it's being criminally underreported. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was we were like, is this vaccine shedding a thing? Like, is it something that we should actually be worried about? Because if it is, we're in a very dangerous situation here. Um, and then, you know, we walked out of the hospital and then the next day Parham collapsed and she said, this is it. I'm leaving my body. And I was in the shower and then Prahlad came in and got me and said, Hey, mum needs you. And like, this is the first time Prahlad's like 19 years old. You know, it's like the first time in 19 years, anything like that's ever happened. Prahlad comes in while I'm in the shower and says, mum needs you. I come out, she's laying on the ground. She's like, this is it. I'm leaving my body. Please start chanting. So I grab my phone and put on Prabhupada chanting Kirtan. And I say to Prahlad, call the ambulance. And Param's like, no, don't call an ambulance. And I'm like, no, call the ambulance now. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, Prabhupada's chanting. Prahlad calls the ambulance. The ambulance comes. We take her to the hospital. And they're kind of like, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, like, um, you're fine, you know. And then send us home again. Um, but Parham didn't get back up again after that. And then within sort of 24 hours, she developed these symptoms that were kind of like left me thinking like she has COVID, like somehow she picked up COVID in the hospital. Mm. And she, I was like, I, I, I need to take you back to the hospital. And she said, no, don't take me there. I'm going to be fine. And I was like, she's like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And 24 hours went by and she was like, I can't breathe. I need oxygen. And I said to Prahlad, what, well, what would you do? What do you think? And he said, I would take her to the hospital. So I went into her and I said, okay, honey, listen to me. If you leave your body here at home or you leave your body in the hospital, Krishna will take care of you either way. But our son said that he would take you to the hospital. And so I'm going to take you to the hospital because I'm not going to have him left here thinking I would have taken her to the hospital, but my dad didn't do that. Right. So right. we're going to go to the hospital. So I called the ambulance and it took hours and hours and hours for them to come. And then we got to the hospital. Savika Vatsala came over, helped me and the paramedics carry Param out to the, to the ambulance. And then he stayed at our place with Prahlad that night. And uh, in the hospital, yeah, they, they said like um, Param started vomiting. And I said, she's having some kind of toxic reaction to something that's happened when we brought her into the hospital for this iron infusion. Like, what do you guys do to her? And they said to me, oh, I know it seems like a massive coincidence, but it has nothing to do with anything that we did. It's, it's the cancer that's doing this. Mm. And uh, Param said to me when they went out, said they, um, you know, they can't admit that it's anything they did or they could be sued. And they wanted to give her anti-nausea medication. And she said, no, my body is obviously trying to eject something. So I'm not taking anti-nausea medication because that like suppresses what's actually happening. And the doctors were like, you know, in my professional opinion, you're going to die in the next few hours unless you take this blood transfusion. And I know that we've had this conversation many times about your religious beliefs, but is there anything that we've missed that you could take the blood transfusion? And, um, you know, we said like, oh, can you give us a few minutes to discuss this? And they left the room and we were there and we talked about it. And then they came back in and Parham said, no, I'll wait. And she was just unattached to living. 
she was un, she was she manifested this way of being that was like this is what i'm committed to this is what i'm standing for and i can live or die but i'm not giving this up and the, all their conversation was like you must give this up now or you will die and she was like i will not give it up it was kind of like a demonstration for me of like religious principles versus like just compromising to survive and they were literally like you're going to die and i would say she will die when Krishna says that she will die. Not one instant before and not one instant afterwards. And when that moment happens, it will be perfect and it will be glorious. Mm -hmm. And I saw this doctor who was holding her hand and he was, I saw his mind just going like, she's toast anyway. So I'm just going to go with this. And he said, yes, that is right. We all, uh, you know, we leave when, when Krishna or Allah or Buddha or whoever says that it's our time to go. And I was like, yes, that is correct. <laughs> the doctor said that? Yeah, the doctor said that because wow. I had to I, I had to create a context of like Param was like, she's saying to me, like, why am I here? Why are we going to the hospital? And so I said, it is because Krishna wants some people at the hospital to do service to a devotee. That is why we're going. We're not going for them to like, you know, extend your life in some way, this way or the other way. It is simply because Krishna wants some people there to do service to devotee. So every time anyone came in, I would always say to them, may Lord Krishna bless you for your service to his devotee. And it was extraordinary to see how that changed my consciousness and their consciousness. Like people were just like, thank you. Um, like they, they really appreciated that. And it changed the whole context of what was happening for me. And we went through that night. And then the very next morning, they put us into a, a hospital room of our own for the first time over that night, it was like crazy. Like Param was vomiting every few minutes or a few times an hour. People were screaming. It was like being in a train station there. And they put us in this hospital room and then a doctor came. Well, the first thing that happened actually was I'd been awake for 48 hours by this stage. And um, I just remember laying there and just, it was, this happened a number of times during this whole pastime was I kind of became like an observer and seeing myself speaking and just like listening to the words coming out of my mouth and just clear that I'm not, I'm, I'm like not the doer. Um, the ultimate final conversation I had with Param was like super obviously that, and this one as well. And I said, um, in the Bhagavatam in the heavenly planets, I, I said in the Bhagavatam on this planet, they have only like the main lines like all of the side conversations and things that are happening are not captured in there. And then Param said to me, um, yeah, it is because the humans uh, easily become distracted by tangents. And then I said, I remember reading this pastime in the Bhagavatam in the Gurukul. And today the champion of the Vaishnava blood transfusion comes. And, um, then I slept for a little while and then this doctor came in and her name was Dr. Himali. And she came in and she said, she had two acolytes with her. And she said, um, can I examine you before I have this conversation? And I was like, she's been examined five times since we got here. Why do you need to examine her again? Anyway, Param says, yep. So she goes to Param and she starts touching different parts of her body and then uttering these kind of mantras. And to me, it looked like applying tilak to the body, you know? And then the acolytes were writing things down. And she kind of did this aside to us where she turns and goes, oh, these are technical medical terms. And I'll explain what they mean to you in a minute. 
And I was listening to her talking and, and it was stuff like she has a dry mouth, but like in Latinate kind of terms, it's kind of like in the, I think it's the 11th or the 12th canto in the purports in their Herodananda Das Goswami or um, the other devotee. Who was the other devotee who wrote those? Prajumna Prabhu? Satsuri Maharaj? Um, I'm not or, sure, or, but whoever wrote the yeah. the the um, purports in there says, you know, that these, these um, in Kali Yuga, the scientists invent their own kind of technical vocabularies to make their knowledge seemingly, you know, very esoteric uh, and out um, of the reach. I remember, of people. That. I remember yeah. that. I have experienced yeah, that. <laughs> Yeah, because you like, work as a air inflatus, like you can't just write it passing air. <laughs> yeah, so it was exactly like that. And I was like, oh, this is all just theater designed to create like, you know, credibility here. And I was like, it's like witch doctoring. Anyway, then she says, she finishes that and she says to Param, um, obviously no one can say for certain and I'm going to have to be guided by you in this conversation about how much you want to know about, in my professional opinion, how long you have to live. So I put my hand on Parham's arm and I say, Parham, she just said that she doesn't know. She said she doesn't know. Don't ask her. And then Parham says, um, I want to know. And I'm like, oh, no. And this lady goes, you have hours maybe days to live. You're an acute renal failure. Um, you know, the cancer has progressed so much that, it, that, that this is it. And I was like, this person is a demon and is cursing my wife to die. And I need to take her head off right now. And then she, uh, then I, I said, you know, she will die when Krishna says that she will die. Not one instant before and not one instant afterwards. And then this doctor, she says, I have to have this conversation with you now. What is the most important thing to you in life? And I'm like, it's Yamaraj. And then I'm thinking, this is where you say Krishna. And then Param says nothing. And then she says to Param, oh no, it was the other way around. It was the other way around. She first asked her, where do you ultimately want to go? That was the first question. <laughs> I was like, this is Yamaraj. Where do you ultimately want to go? And I'm like, go Loka Vrindavan. This is where you say go Loka Vrindavan. And Param doesn't say anything. And then the doctor says, let me ask you the question another way. What is the most important thing to you in life? And I'm like, this is where you say Krishna. This is where you say Krishna. And then Param says, my husband and my son. And I think, oh, we're in real trouble now. She's become bewildered and she's become like a human female and she's about to leave her body and she's in this state of consciousness. And then, so the doctor says to her, so, you know, do you want to leave your body here in the hospital or do you want to do it at home with your husband and your son? And Param says, I don't think that they would be okay with me leaving my body at home. And I say to her, honey, we're fine with you leaving your body wherever you want. It is up to you. And we're okay with whatever you want to do. And you will leave your body when Krishna says it is time for you to leave your body and not before. And so she says, I would like to leave my body at home. And then she says, if I got the blood transfusion, would that give me more time? And the doctor says, 
that could give you weeks, maybe even months. And then I just immediately say, listen, what we are looking for here is someone to be the champion of the blood transfusion from our religious community. Can you be that person? And then she says, I would love to do that. And then, you know, turns to her two acolytes and says, okay, now you, you know, go and contact this doctor within the hospital and you don't contact this person in the blood transfusion service and like, let's make this happen. And then they go off to do that. So that changed that whole um, narrative there. You know, and they so started. She, so the doctor was willing to take up the search of finding someone who was a devotee to, to give the Oh, blood. no, we, we had that. We had devotees who, you know, when I started the whole thing, I said to Param, like, in order for me to do this, I'm going to go all the way with this. I'm 100% your champion, but I need to take this to the community of devotees because we need to find compatible blood donors. And so I did. And devotees were like going and getting their blood typed. Um, so many people stepped up and said they were willing to do it. And when I took that back to Param, she started crying and she said, I didn't think anyone would care. But devotees, you know, like were willing to literally give their own blood to sustain her. And so it was a matter of making it possible within the medical system for them to do it. And so we, um, we, we got that going. So was that doctor able to then make those connections and make it happen? Yeah. So they came back a day. So the next day we're in a, another ward and then the next doctor comes in and her name is Dr. Samadhi. And I'm like, who writes this stuff? No? First Yamaraj and then, and then Samadhi comes, right? And then Dr. Samadhi was like, her whole pitch was you can go to this hospice where you can leave your body and, or you can, you know, be there to recover. And it's like a heavenly planet. They have such amazing facilities there. Your husband will have a bed. He won't have to sleep on the floor. Um, they'll support your spiritual approach to this. You know, there are more doctors and nurses there to patient ratio than there are here. It's just an amazing place. You know, you should definitely go there. It's free and everything. And you can go there tomorrow. The only thing is that you have to take a PCR test. And if anyone wants to come and visit you, they also have to have a negative PCR test and you can have one visitor a day. And then Parham was like, um, she was not into that. She was like a no to that. And she said, no, you know, I need, uh, you know, if 20 people want to come and see me you know, it's just not going to work. So she was a no, a no to the heavenly planets, you know? Mm. Um, but that then Dr. Hamali came back and said, you know, all of your indicators are improving. So it was actually, her situation was consistent with some kind of toxic reaction, acute toxic reaction to something that had happened during that hospital visit, mm. the viral shedding, or I investigated the infusion. It doesn't do that. The viral shedding though, it's consistent with that. And while we were in the hospital, they had, we were there for seven days and um, there was a lot of kind of segregation of COVID patients and clearing the corridors and everything, but the vaccine injured weren't even vaccine injured to them. And they were just putting them together with immune, Im immune compromised people left, right and center. Mm. Um, but Param, so we were treating her with doing colonics, high colonics to accelerate her uh immune system elimination. And so all of her markers were improving and they were like, oh, okay, it looks like you're not about to die from the cancer. So we actually have this uh, response back from the blood service. And they said that inside a treatment plan for the cancer, we can do, you know, a blood transfusion from your religious community. So they made it possible. 
for Vaishnavas to get direct blood transfusions from members of their own um, religious community. And then, you know, after they went out, Param kind of turned to me and did this kind of breaking character aside and said, you weren't going to make me take that vaccinated blood transfusion, were you? And I was like, no, of course not. Anyway, we don't have to now because it's off the table and it's possible to get this other one. But I, I just empowered what she wanted to do. And she was just a hard no to it. She was like, I will die before I'll take that. And I was like, okay, full respect. If that's how you want to roll, that's how we're going to do it. And I'll go all the way with this. And um, in that week, she still couldn't move. And then devotee started reading to her on Zoom around the clock. And at a certain point, a devotee from South America came on and said after reading, like, I have these offerings from devotees in South America. How do I get them to her? And I turned the Zoom thing on and said, you can read them to her now. And um, this devotee read all these offerings from devotees in South America where we hadn't been there for like 18 years. Um, but the devotees were so appreciative of the service uh, that we did there and that Mother Parambhava did there. And um, yeah, she was crying and she said, I didn't think anyone would remember me. And it really was like she got to attend her funeral service in those seven days. She was just laying there, couldn't move. Devotees were glorifying her. And then we went out of the hospital to my mother's place. We took her there. And I told the doctors, they said, oh, we understand that the PCR test is an issue for you. And I said, it's not that. It is that these bodies do not belong to us. They belong They belong to Krishna. And so we must do what Krishna's devotees ask us to do. And they want to see Parambhava. They want to be able to do some service for her. And so the hospice doesn't work for us. So we're going to go to my mother's place. And we went back there, reorganized everything. And um, 11 days we had there. And I was just serving Param 24-7, Prahlad and I both. Nitai Chand, who was guiding us in this whole thing, he said, sometimes Krishna will do this for an advanced devotee, especially if they don't take service from devotees during their lifetime, makes them unable to do anything so that they have to take service from devotees and that becomes their service. And so he would speak with her about that and say, Param, you have to just take this as your service now that, you know, your service is to take service from the devotees. Right. And she was recovering. Um, but at the same time, the cancer was accelerated for whatever reason. And um, on the very final day, a couple of things happened. Prahlad, can you bring over the trident there? So Raivata Das, who we hadn't seen for like 18, 20 years, he found out that she was leaving her body. And so he sent this for her. Now, it has attached to it now the flag of Hanuman from Arjuna's chariot, which I've added there. This was our flag that we flew in Wellington at the temple there. But he sent this trident oh, yeah. to Lord Shiva, which he, has, he forged this himself. He's already wow. living in the Bronze Age. He forged this and he sent it, and it arrived like a day or two days before she left. And then we were looking at it and we were laughing. We we're like, who does this? Like he hears that Parm's about to leave her body and he's like, I have to send her a trident of Lord Shiva. <laughs> so this thing applies, you know? Um, then on that final day, we've been doing the colonics following um, this program that Nitai Chant had given. And 
Parham was, you know, she'd taken this juice and she was like distressed after taking it. And I said, well, honey, here's the thing. You can either be the thoughts and feelings and emotions and experiences of your body, or you can be the instructions of the Vaishnava Brahman. And the Vaishnava Brahman said that if you are disturbed after taking the juice, we should do another colonic. And she's like, okay, let's do that then. I'm like, okay. She's like, how are you going to get me to the bathroom? Because she still can't move. And by this stage, I'm like exhausted. It's been three three weeks of this. Oh, and one thing that that also I shouldn't miss out there is she had Prahlad stay awake with her the entire night before, 24 hours, with his hands on her. Um, And then so I'm like, I'll get Sevika Vatsala to come and help. She's like, call him now. So I called him. He was there within 15 minutes. And then we go into the bathroom to do this colonic. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I'm like, honey, you look amazing. Like you look angelic. Like the years are rolling off you. She looked beautiful. Like, like younger than even when we got married, like 24 years ago. And then we're doing the colonic and she's like, oh, the water won't come out. And I'm like, honey, that's because you're holding it in there with your abdomen. Like I can tell after like weeks of doing this, like I can see that you're doing this. And, um, I rang Nitai Chand and I said, you know, this is what's happening. And he said, oh, I'm not worried because he would talk to her and she would respond. And she was like perfectly coherent, voice was very strong and everything. And he said, I'm not really worried because if she was in real trouble, she'd be unconscious. But she's like perfectly coherent and everything. And it was kind of like to me, like it was all like a drama that was taking place and like she was playing a role and just pretending. And I was like, and when he said that, I thought to myself, now what she's going to do, is she's going to pretend that she's unconscious after she's heard that. Cause I could see her listening to him say that. And, and I said, he, she, he said, where is it? Where is the water in her colon? And I was like, I can't tell because her muscles, she's like tensing her abdomen. She's got like amazing muscle tone and, and she, she looks angelic. And he said, okay, well, look, you know, um, he said afterwards, the super soul told him to get off the phone. He said, okay, we'll just go, you know, go and be with her now. So I jumped off the phone. And then I said to her, listen, honey, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to get the water out. And I said, yeah, but in what context? Do you want to leave your body or do you want to recover from this? Because I'm okay with either one of those two. It's whatever you want to do. So the last words that she said to me was, she said, I want to live. So I said, okay. Great. I'm all in on this. Now, Nitai Chan says that it will take 18 months maximum for your recovery, but with the progress that you're making, it's going to be six months. But I'm looking at it as 18 months minimum. And you know what? We can do this for as long as you want. Like, even when you recover from this, you don't have to worry about going back to work or anything like that. We can just keep doing this for as long as you want, even when you're recovered and you're healthy again. And I was thinking about it last night and if it goes on like this, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm not going to be able to keep my job. But if that happens, I'll just tell my manager, I can always get another job, but I can't get another wife. I have a wife. You are my wife and I love you. And then I'm, it's like I'm in a third person camera perspective, watching myself having this conversation with her. And she's looking at me and she's just smiling, beaming. And I say, thank you for being my wife in this lifetime. Thank you for being the mother of our son, Prahlad, and the grandmother of Prahlad's children. You're my wife and I love you. And you are a Vaishnava and I'm your servant. And we will be together life after life. And then right in that instant, she left her body. Wow. 
And she just went like, she's just beaming at me. And I said that she just went. And I was thinking, she's just playing with me. So I just sat there and I was just looking into her eyes. And I was like, she's, now she's pretending to be unconscious because that's what she heard Natai Chan say. And she's going to start breathing again in a minute. And then she didn't start breathing again. And I was like, she's left her body. She has. She's left her body. And I'm looking into her eyes. And then I say, you are a mystic yogi. And then she does this. Like that. And I was just like, who writes this stuff? <laughs> Amazing. Wow. Yeah. I was just, the hairs on my body were standing on end. I was like, just like, you can't top that. You know, the, the, the trident arriving the day before was just like a confirmation. She's a mystic yogi. And she, she gave up her body in the instant that I said to her, you're a Vaishnava and I'm your servant. We will be together life after life. And I was just left with, you know, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, yam yam vapi smaran bhavam tyajat yante kalevaram. Whatever state of consciousness one remembers at the time of death, that they attain without fail. So I was like, she has chosen the time and place of her, of her passing. So I said, Savika, Params left her body. The ambulance was there for, within four minutes with a defibrillator. And they said, we can restart her heart. I said, this person has left their body at a time and place of their choosing, and there is nothing to be done here. And, um, you know, they hooked her up, verified that her heart had stopped, and devotees were there within 15 minutes doing kirtan. And all through that night, they were just saying to me, like, are you sure that she's left her body? Because she looks like she's about to, like, sit up and say something. Yeah. It was definitely the passing of a mystic yogi. That's an amazing story. Um, I want to hear kind of a little bit about, because when sometimes I think about like my attachment to my family, to my wife, like in those times when you were serving her, were you preparing yourself for like, this is a person that I've been like so attached to for the past 25 years or whatever. Mm. How do you, how do you even think about like detaching yourself from that, even even in such a like a kind of in a sudden, not in a sudden way, but like in a almost a sudden way. Yeah, it was like off a cliff, you know. It was like it was it was trending down, sure, but then it just went whack, and it was like three weeks, you know. I was never more detached from her material body at the moment that she left, and I was never more in love with her than in that moment. You know, in those three weeks, she was unable to do any of the kind of services that she had done for me, cooking, washing my clothes, you know, organizing the house, any of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, from that time I took her into the hospital, she was like vomiting all over my hands. It was, it was liquid beauty. You know, it was like bile and stool and then eliminating all the toxins from her colon, you know, which was having her health things trend up. And so she became like super emaciated, um, was no longer doing any of the things, you know, that she had done before. And it was kind of like the experience was like, what now, you know, what do you have to say now after all of that? Now I can no longer do any more of the services that I've done for you. 
my body has become emaciated, you know, your hands have become covered with bile and stool, all my beauty is gone from my body, what do you say now? And what I had to say then was, you're my wife and I love you. And you're a Vaishnava and I'm your servant. And we will be together life after life. And then that was the instant. And I was struggling and, and um, grappling and explicitly with commitment versus attachment. Like, I'm all in on this. My brother-in-law was there within minutes after she passed away. AJ, and he said, you know, what happens now? I'm like, bro, I got no idea because I was all in on this. I got no plan B. Like, there was no planning for what would happen when Param leaves her body. And Prahlad comes in and says, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear from Prahlad a little bit about seeing your in the interaction of your parents during this during this t difficult time what was going through your head uh during that time oh uh, yeah yeah sorry for coming in and out um battling okay. a little bit of food poisoning so i feel a little bit nauseous oh so yeah was, i've had that before it's not fun yeah so i'm just hanging out on the floor listening to dad speak um <laughs> yeah. yeah uh for me, you know, it was sort of a sort of a deja vu moment. Um, one thing I don't think Dad mentioned, but uh, basically the same thing sort of happened back in two thousand nine for me. Um, just before um, Mum passed away, she 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 started bleeding. So the night before the night where she passed away, she started bleeding heavily, and Dad wasn't there. He was he was at. He was at our place. He wasn't there with mum. And I was like, yeah, this sort of reminds me of what happened back in 2009 when this first happened. You know, mum was bleeding pretty bad then. And I was like eight years old. Mm -hmm. And I was there and dad wasn't there either. I was like, man, what's going on? <laughs> so for me, for me, it was like a real deja vu moment. I was like, okay, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but, um, I'm more prepared now than I was before. Um, so yeah, I was, I was up for like 52 hours straight. So I was like dead tired. And that's why Savika had to come and help. Cause I was yeah. like, I can't do it. It's like, I got to sleep. And so, you know, dad was talking about, um, everyone was doing Kirtan and everyone was there after she passed away. I was, I was sleeping. So I, I don't remember much of that pastime. Mm. But yeah, just looking at the um the interaction between people and my mum was like it's crazy. I was there just like sort of observing the whole time, you know, helping out as much as I can. Um I was with mum quite a bit. Uh I had a really good relationship with mum. Um and yeah, just being able to see um like her I don't know how you say it, but like her unwillingness to accept service. She's like, oh, no, nah, I'm good all the time. <laughs> and just seeing her like basically have to accept the service from people was like, uh, I, I I, really enjoyed that, you know, seeing that. You know, I, I also wasn't like prepared for mom passing away. You know, I was just reading some comic books and then, I hear dad say, oh, mom's passed away. I was like, huh? Say what now? I was mm -hmm. just like, damn, I was, there's no real indication of that was going to happen. So I was like, 
I was also fully prepared for it to like just become normal life, just taking care of mum. Um, but, you know, I also didn't have a plan B. <laughs> yeah, how was just it? Seeing... Sorry, oh, yeah. Uh, how was it for you having gone through, a, you know, a similar kind of process in 2009 at, at such a young age and then you know, naturally when that happens, my, my father also had cancer and I was, I was a teenager at the time, but I remember it being kind of a whirlwind. Like I didn't fully get a chance to, um, accept my emotions. It just kind of happened. And then afterwards, like, we didn't talk about it that much, but, but having gone through it at such a young age, did it change your perspective of, you know, of life and mortality and your parents and what relation you, you have with them and your experience of life as a devotee and how we perceive death and things like that yeah so definitely definitely being a, a devotee helped you know knowing that this is the material world and that there's the spiritual world and that we, we're not the bodies um you know that helps it's like it's really eye-opening and it doesn't it doesn't um degrade uh, mom's life, but it also, I know that she's still, she's somewhere and that it's not the, not the end. Mm. And so for me, uh, it's complete. I don't have any like regrets. I'm like just living on life now. And then, you know, I'll, I'll live the next life and mom's living the next life right now. And she's doing, she's doing whatever she's doing. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And there's, there's no, there's no reason to regret anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely being a devotee. I remember talking to, oh man, I forgot who it was, but you might remember you were there, but, um, they were saying that one of their relatives passed away recently and there was like a a massive contrast between the the event that we had for mom passing away and the event that they had, you know, they were like jumping on the casket, you know, really, really sad. Everyone was crying and we, we were there playing kirtan as mom mm. was being cremated. So it's like we were celebrating her life while they were mourning their death. Right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, that's like, that's, that's a pretty big difference. Um, and I think being a devotee for like my entire life, it's like no biggie, <laughs> just to dumb it down. It's like, that's just, that's just how I feel. Mm. Um, sorry, I forgot the, the rest of the question that you asked. It's okay, it was quite long-winded. Yeah, I was just saying that, you know, did it change your perspective having gone through it at, at eight years old and then mm. having, going through it again? at an older age, you kind of have kind of, okay, this again, we know what, how to deal with it kind of thing. I yeah. Think yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, going through it when I was like eight years old. So it was a little while ago. I can remember that, um, sort of vividly, um, just going through it. Then I was like totally unprepared, you know, like as an eight year old, you're not ready for that really. Um, but that's sort of like, is the the boot camp training for what we did because you know we went through the whole chemotherapy we went through all of that and so i sort of know what's going on and since i'm a i'm a type 1 diabetic myself so i sort of 
have a relationship with uh, chronic diseases. So it's like I was um, more prepared than I would have been if it just came out the blue. Right. So, yeah, it's like it was like a real big deja vu because, like, the same thing, mom was bleeding, dad wasn't there, and I had to deal with it myself. And so, yeah, I knew I knew what to do now. So I was I was prepared. So uh, Sita Badiba, what so what is the plan now? As as did you discuss that with her before leaving? Or hmm. no, you know, the next day, Krishnagraja was like, you have to buy her a new sari, you know, for the cremation. So I went with my sister down to Kaysen's and, you know, I, I saw a Sarah's was like that one. She would love that one. It was yellow and green, her favorite colors. And I said, you know, I need to buy the sari for my wife. And they're like, oh, you know, what about this one and this one? And they were like, what is it for? Is it for her birthday or something? I said, no, she's being cremated tomorrow. And I was kind of, they were like, okay. <laughs> but then, then they were like, you know, I explained to them about, I, t- I shared with them how she passed. I showed her, them a picture of her, you know? And one of them who was there said, I just did a puja to Krishna here. We have a Krishna deity. And then I could feel the Shakti when you walked in, you know, the Krishna Bhakti. And they were like, they just went all out and put together like a full thing for her, you know? And I just, at one point as they were bringing it all out and putting it together, I started crying because I was like, I would love to have shown this to Param, you know, to bought this for her before she left, you know? But then I caught myself and I was like, there was no way that I was going to sell out on her for a second while she was alive. Like right. I was all in, we were a hundred percent all in on that. And it's like, how do you be like fully a hundred percent committed, but not attached? You know, it's kind of like normally when we're like, oh, I'm not attached to the outcome Peru, it's just going to be whatever happens, you know? So I'm just like a passive kind of like, you know, but, you could, but if you look at Arjuna on the battlefield, he has to be 100% committed, detached from the result. But you wouldn't be able to tell the difference from looking at him. He's like all in on this thing, but he's detached from the result. So I was all in on this thing and detached from the result in that I didn't go into like a massive breakdown like, you know, damn you, Krishna, how could you do this to me? You know, afterwards, it's like, this is all the will of the Lord and I'm simply his servant. Um, and there was no plan B, no plan B, none whatsoever. So it was just like, okay, I just now follow whatever, just like at a certain point in the whole thing, I was like, this is way too much for me to deal with. I need to, um, rely on the Lord and the devotees and how they direct me. And so Nitai Chand was like, Hey, you know, um, come and stay on this farm for a few weeks or months or whatever, and just shoot arrows and hang out. And so, I was like, this is where Krishna wants me to be then. So, you know, I got rid of our flat that we'd been living in for the last two years in Auckland. And we had selected that place remotely from Australia when we came over at the beginning of COVID because it was close to the city preaching center. But, you know, with the way that things have developed, if you're unvaccinated, you know, you can't do anything at the city preaching centers. And Nitai Chand was like, hey, come down to the farm. So I was like, okay, come to the farm, came to the farm. And I've just been, I have no idea what I'm doing and there's no, I don't have any kind of plan anymore. And I've just been kind of like following the current of what Krishna puts in front of me because 
that's really how I had to be through that whole thing was like, I had my ideas about how things would go and how I want them to go. And I still have those kind of thoughts and stuff, but now I just have to deal with what Krishna puts in front of me and just be who Krishna wants me to be in this life. And so that's how we ended up over the last three weeks down in Wellington at this um, anti-mandates protest that happened down there and found ourselves opening a temple in the middle of the occupation in the parliament grounds and becoming, as the protesters themselves call it, the heart chakra of the community there. And Prahlad did 10 to 12 hours of books a day. Um, we did 2,000 plates of prashadam. Prahlad did 287 books. We did wow. 10 to 13 hours of kirtan a day. And we just did one melody for 23 days, the Prabhupada melody. Wow. Just that wow. same one over and over again. No variation. Zero Epic. variation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> before we start talking about the... Um the Wellington thing. Mm. I just wanted to add that, you know, just relying on Krishna is like definitely the way to go. You know, um, mom had life insurance. This is a good story. Um, but you know, we, me and dad were like, weren't a part of the life insurance, like payment. Weren't a part of like the, the whole, um, yeah, just weren't really a part of it. We never talked about it beforehand. You know, I was always like, you're going to live. We don't need this, you know? Right. Yeah. So uh, up until she passed away, we're like, we heard. know, we know she has life insurance, but we have no clue what it is, where it would be. And so we're looking for it and they, they don't really send out an email like ever because they only send out like physical letters. So right. we don't, we don't know who's it with or anything. And so the way that I found it is that I looked through mom's bank um, records to see like a recurring um, payment. payment. And I see this payment um, for some company called Genus and it's for every month, but it stopped in September, which was two months before she passed away. And so I was like, mm, maybe, maybe it's them. So I call in to check it out. And then they, they tell me that, oh yeah, the, the payments had stopped. And so the, the, um, the plan had be, the plan had been voided. And so like, all well, when did it get voided? And then they say, um, November 24, 24th at midnight. Yeah. At midnight. So at the start of November 24th and we had a death certificate for mum that was November 23rd, 9 p.m. So her <laughs> life insurance was three hours um, before it got voided three hours after she passed away. So it was like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is a bit crazy. And so that was like super lucky. And so we went through the whole process um, for getting that. And I think uh, that paid for part of the, the like cremation and the memorial service. Yeah. yeah. So that was like Krishna's plan. Cause like, we, we just had, we're just here just have no clue. And we're like, just right on the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to share that before we start talking about, um, Wellington. Wow. Wellington That's a great story. Oh my gosh. Fantastic story. Yeah. Well, Krishna gives these little signs that, 
make, make you laugh in these kinds of situations that how how funny to make it like that that just so close to the time it's like who could have planned it like that only krishna just to give yeah. you heads up like i'm with you i'm watching <laughs> yes. you 100 percent. it's like Srila Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Goswami said, I will not be so bold to say that I've seen God, but I've seen signs along the way and I'm encouraged. Wow. Right. <laughs> Definitely. And so, you know, just yeah, go ahead. Just just to complete one thing there, you know that moment in the hospital where Yamaraj says to Parambhava, What is the most important thing to you in life? And she says, My husband and my son. You know, at the time that she said that, I was like, she's become bewildered and this is like, you know, now we're in trouble. And then when she left her body in that moment, like looking into my eyes, just beaming when I said, you're a Vaishnava, I'm your servant and we will be together life after life. I, I realized that actually it was the perfection of the Nara Leela of a Vaishnava, you know, that she was like perfectly dharmic as a human woman and she was attached to her husband and her son and that to be attached to a Vaishnava is the perfection of life. Mm. And I realized that, mm. you know, um, we are not simply these impersonal souls, you know, we are eternally associates. And then, you know, in these lifetimes, we, you read that verse that says, you know, the living entities come together like the seaweed or the flotsam and jetsam on the ocean. And then they go apart under the right. control of the ocean and, you know, some devotee sent me that and it's kind of like, you know, it's all random, but looking at how our life together began and then seeing how our pastimes in this life finished, I'm like, a finish like that leads to a beginning, like the one that I saw at the beginning of this life. So I'm like, we will be together in our next life, serving the Lord somewhere in this Sankirtan mission somewhere together. Yeah. So um, for, for going back to the Wellington thing, I saw something online that uh, the, the managers of ISKCON there, they were saying that devotees should not go there or that they were saying that they don't represent ISKCON going there to those. Kind of denouncing that group, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you feel, did, did devotees not come or or was it? were devotees saying for devotees not to go there or how was that all? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like the, the, there were a few press releases that came out denouncing us and some of those overstepped the mark to be straight with you. Like one said, um, these people do not represent the Hare Krishna movement. And I'm like, it's one thing if you have your little incorporated thing and you say, we don't represent that. But when you say I, I sent, uh, a video to my Guru Maharaj and I said, how does one represent the Hare Krishna movement other than by chanting Hare Krishna in any and all <laughs> circumstances? What else is right. there? Right. You know, to say that we don't represent the Hare Krishna movement, that's madness. That is madness. Yeah. Oh, um, I was, I, I was sleeping in the tent and then I uh, woke up and I, every, every single day I would check my phone for like news updates because the news would like post live and I could, you know, have a little bit of a laugh at like how the difference is between what they say and what I see there personally. Right. And then I, I came, I was scrolling through and then it said like the, the Wellington Temple president has denounced the, <laughs> the people there. And I was like, what? We're on, we're on the news being denounced by the temple president 
because he he had to have contacted people to mm. like get that published in the news. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's a bit that's a bit funny. We also um we ran out of higher taste books because that was like super popular. People were going to the get some prasadam, and then they're like, damn, this is amazing. So they would come over to me. You got any of the cookbook? I was like, nah, we're having some, uh, you know, um, issues with inventory because no one, no one would give us books to to give out there. So we're like, okay. Oh, wow. Wait, hold on a second. So the book suppliers wouldn't supply you guys books because you were you were doing it at the protest. Well, you know, they can say that. Oh, we don't really have that many books, you know, so we can't give you any. Probably. <laughs> or ask this other person you know who doesn't get back to you so it was yeah anyway we ended up ordering 250 kilograms of books directly from the bbt and having them airlifted across <laughs> and people were just giving donations like crazy people were supporting it like anything yeah it was a bit it was a bit hard for me to give away books you know people I'll just be sitting at the table. Some guy comes up, starts ruffling through his bag, hands me $250. Like, do you want a book? And they're like, nope. And just walks <laughs> off. Like, wow. What am I meant to do? Like people are just not taking the books. And then I had a lot of people come and they're like, oh, I don't have any money. I'm like, oh, just take a book. And then they don't want to take a book because they want to give a donation. And then I never see them again. So it's like these people... They want to give donations and then they get sidetracked by, you know, something else. And then at the same time, 287 books went out. Yeah. So I was, was there any outcome to the, to the protests or like, is it still going on or did you have to leave or what happened there? Uh, So what happened was that it was a convoy down to parliament and we joined the convoy from, you know, our region of the country got down there and just did Harinam, which is what we've done at every protest, you know? And then we came back to the farm and I just had this overwhelming urge from within the heart telling me you have to go back there. So the next day I'm like, I'm going back. And then Cecilia was like, I'm going too." you know, we only found out about this thing like hours before it happened. And on the first day when we went down there, joined the convoy and went down, Cecilia made us Hare Krishna banner, you know, and we went down to Harinam with the Hare Krishna banner. And um, then we went back the next day and it had turned into an occupation. And so I basically just took a dhoti and a kurta, a sleeping bag, a toothbrush, a murdunga, you know, and a PA and my tilak, <laughs> and then slept in the car. And it, it just went from there. We just went there and just chanted. The very first night it started raining. And so we went under these these tent covers there and we're under there. I'm leading this kirtan and it's just going off. Like these tents are packed with people and I'm just looking at them and I'm thinking, how come these people all know the words? It's like I'm leading a kirtan in a temple. And then we get to the Nittai Golda Hari Bow at the end. And this guy standing behind Savika Vatsala just starts yelling, Nishringa Dave, Nishringa Dave. I'm like, dude, there's something, there's something like, I don't know where we are, but then the very next day was the day that the police tried to eject the protesters from there and like attacked women and children and like 122 people got arrested. 
And the protesters themselves were like, what are you guys doing here? And it was like being in a washing machine of people's minds and senses just going nuts. But I was like, it's very clear to me that Yuga Dharma is the chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. And not only, you know, people are like, oh, you know, why are you chanting Hare Krishna at a protest? I'm like, no, why are not all protesters around the world all chanting Hare Krishna? That's the problem. Not that we're here chanting Hare Krishna. The problem is that not everyone is chanting Hare Krishna everywhere all the time. Hmm. So to me, the problem is not enough chanting of Hare Krishna, not like too much of it or the wrong time, wrong place. So I was just like that with the protesters. I'm like, I don't care what you think. We are here to chant Hare Krishna and you are not going to like it. You're going to love it. <laughs> oh, the protesters were saying, why are you chanting? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I was just like, you're going to love this. I know you're going to love it. And we just like found a space in between the two front lines and just held that space and chanted the Prabhupada melody for three hours nonstop. And afterwards, people said to us for weeks afterwards, like on that day, I was on the front line. I got bashed by the police. You know, the whole thing was going crazy. Then I fell back from the front line to where you guys were and you just held this beautiful space there and it was so calm and peaceful. And like you guys really like, like held the ground that day and they didn't eject the protesters. And then we just kept chanting and kept chanting. And then somehow Krishna built this temple around us in like the, the main entrance way to this protest site. And we had this beautiful, we call it Naimasharanya Bhavan, where we just did Kirtan in this open kind of pundal, which was decorated with flowers and had, you know, as, as it built up these two Mahamantra boards there, a big Jagannath in there, a massive picture of Prabhupada and just people coming in all day and all night chanting Hare Krishna, like crowds dancing around hundreds of people. It was insane. I've never experienced anything like it in my 25 years of being a devotee and preaching like on the front lines around the world. And then we would be woken up at like three or six in the morning with the police attacking somehow because we had expanded out over two city blocks in either direction. The police pushing in on a line, the protesters confronting them, and we would go down there as a, like a quick reaction force and do kirtan. And that we it took us a few times of doing it to work out where we fit into the whole thing. Cause it was the very first time we did it. We were like right up the front where the police were and the protesters were like, you know, move back to here. And so in the end where we ended up was they put us a picture of it on the main stage and it had, you know, warriors on the outer circle and then loving warriors on the next circle and then doing a job on the inner circle. And we were like living in a Van Ashram village for three weeks. You know, there were people who'd been fired from the ambulance and fire services who created like our own medical center there which was staffed 24 7 with people you know paramedics with like radios and everything there was a security force there was a sanitation department they put like flushing toilets in and wired them into the sewers Gosh. there was like multiple kitchens there devotees came down from the far north and there was so much donations flowing into this thing from around the country that everything was free so devotees were doing 2,000 plates of prasadam a day and were like getting like 50 liters of organic milk like dropped off to make sweet rice. And it was nuts. And people appreciated us. Like one day I went to this shower that they'd built there and they said, oh, this is only for people who are like doing work here in the village and you are chanting so you can use it. And it was like, we, we were recognized as like the brahmanas of the village. And, you know, they acknowledged us. There was one night where... 
everybody as they left the village would have to walk past the temple at 10 o'clock. And so we would do this lullaby kind of kirtan. And one night I was just feeling like, no, nah, I can't do this. And I was like demotivated. And on the main stage, just as they were finishing up, the MC goes, everybody make some noise for the Hare Krishnas. And then the whole crowd's like, yeah. And I'm like, Krishna wants it. Grab the Murdunga and head out onto the laneway in front of the temple to do the um, kirtan. You said there was a connection between Parambhava's passing and the you guys going out to Wellington. Yeah. What was the connection there? Or how did you... Well, the whole yeah, time that it was happening, I was yeah. like, Krishna is preparing me for something really big here. That's what's happening in this whole pastime of Parambhava's passing. Like he's preparing me for something. Mm -hmm. And he's training me in this being committed but detached. And just the 24-7 intense devotional service. So the pastime in Wellington lasted for the same amount of time as Parambhava's passing. And it was just as intense. Like we were living there on site, sleeping on the ground in the tent, you know, at the risk of the police, like coming through with tear gas, pepper spray at any moment with the people suffering in the same way they were um, and going out, you know, we'd be out there one night we went out and chanted and then we came back and there was this lady and she was there and she was crying. And I just went over to her and held her hand. And then another devotee who was there came, put his hand on her. And we just kept chanting the kirtan. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And we were there for, for like five or 10 minutes like that. And then we continued. And the next day I was doing kirtan in the bhavan and I saw her walking past. I said, Hey, she was no, a lady came in and she was limping. And I didn't realize it was the same lady. I said, Hey, what happened to your leg? And she took off her sunglasses and she said, I'm the lady that you were chanting with last night. And what had happened was that she had been there when the police came to take away this shower block that had been donated and they trampled over her and uh, damaged her knee. And then so, you know, when we came upon her after we came down to diffuse the situation, she was just in the shock of having been treated that way and crying because of that. And, um, you know, in that moment, the devotees came and held her and chanted to her. And it was 23 days of that. And, you know, for Parambhava, it was like, here is a devotee who is about to leave their body. And who are you going to be for that person in those circumstances? And how are you going to manage all your own reactivation, your own human mind, you know, the desires for gain and safety, your own opinions about what's happening, you know, being denounced by the GBC, like who are you going to be about all of that? And who are you going to be for people? And so many times in that pastime, I was just reminded of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who said that he wanted to do his bhajan in Kurukshetra mm -hmm. because so many people do their bhajan and varshan or vrindavan. It's like, ah, oh, you know, what is the value of my little contribution there? Radharani has so many people. But he said that pastime of when Radharani and the gopis go to Kurukshetra to see Krishna again after having been separated from him for so long during the solar eclipse. And they get there and it's um, Dwarkadesh Krishna that they encounter and not Vrindavan Krishna. And they're like, who is this prince on a chariot with a crown? Like, where is the cowherd boy of Vrindavan who plays the flute and enchants the cows? 
and even the river Yamuna itself. And then at that point in time there, having gone so far to meet Krishna again, and just like, we're going to meet Krishna, we're going to meet Krishna. And then they don't meet him. How heartbroken Radharani is in that moment. And there, my bhajan will have some value because it will be of some solace to her. Just like you offer someone some water, it's no big deal, unless they're in the desert dying of thirst. Yeah. Then even you give them a teaspoon, they'll love it. I think, and like, I think in relation to that pastime, Srila Sridhar Maharaj said, where there's the highest need, there's the highest uh, remuneration. Yes. Sorry to... And that, that was our experience there. We were like, we are doing bhajan in Kurukshetra. Right. And like literally, there was like one of my god brothers was on the other side as a riot policeman, you know, came through and 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 destroyed the village, burned, you know, they it all burned to the ground. They ripped the temple to pieces in front of us as we did Kirtan at the end. Um, it was real Kurukshetra Bhav, you know, and people there, they appreciated the devotees so much. It's unbelievable. I've never seen the kind of reciprocation from people. But these people, you got to understand, are people who, like myself, answered the call of their heart and went there and gave, left behind their family, their safety of their house to sleep on the ground in contested territory because they're committed to something. So these are not ordinary people. They are demigods performing austerities. And Lord Vishnu sent the Vaishnavas to perform a powerful Sankirtan Yagya amongst them and caused them to assemble in that place for three weeks. And it was just a real blessing that he deputed us to be the ones to be there. And Parambhava's passing was my like training for that. He's like, I'm going to train you in how to be in this situation <laughs> and to just chant, chant, chant and take shelter of nothing else and give nothing else to people but the holy name. Harinam Eva Kevalam. Wow. So I know you said there was no plan B, but what is, like, I know you've had some time to think about it. Now, what is the plan now? Not that it's a plan B, but what is the plan now? What? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> What's the plan? <laughs> <laughs> well the plan was to you know stay stay at wellington for as long as other people are there yeah um i would tell like everyone we're gonna be here till everyone else leaves and we were there till everyone else left you know yeah. i was um i was by myself you know just playing the cartels you know doing some um iron arm you know at the, this was just at the very end when like I was I was just there on the street and I see like 200 riot police, you know, in full shield, um, helmet gear, just start running down the street at full speed. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back, grab some cartels, and move out the way. And I came back up, you know, I was just walking around, you know, just doing some kirtan. Some guy asked me like, yeah, Yo, you're not you're not scared the police are gonna like arrest you? Because I was like right up against like pushing against the shields but i was just like walking past because i couldn't get past any other way so i just like walked through and I, I i had no not an inch of like doubt if they were gonna like you know arrest me or something i was just walking through you know i was not it wasn't obliviousness but i was like krishna krishna will protect me i'm here doing harinam krishna will protect me and i'm just i'm just here doing harinam i, I don't not really caring for the political or any any of the struggle that's going on right now. I'm just doing Harinam. Mm. And so I told the guy, like, you know, I'm just I'm just out here chilling. I'm having a good time. I'm I'm actually enjoying it. You know, this is like some of the most exciting times to be. So we did Harinam at like the the front lines the entire time. 
And I was there and I saw some pretty, you know, violent stuff. And I was like, damn, it's popping off. You know, people are like fighting. Um, I saw one policeman like trip into the protesters and someone just straight curb stomp kicked him. I was like, oh man, that looks, that looks, that looks intense. I was still there just playing the cartels, you know, with the big smile on my face. Cause you know, it's all the material world. So all of this is like, you know, temporary. Well, me, you know, being there chanting is immortal. It will transcend time. And so I was just, I was having a great time. I got some cool photos and some other people might be materially, um, you know, sad that it ended or something, but I was like, I'm having a great time. That was what I was there for. You know, I was there for the people, you know, just doing Harinam, doing books. And I had a few people, you know, come up and complain about us doing um, Kirtan. They're like, you know, it's sort of intrusive us having to hear you guys play. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. And we continued. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't even listen to my own mind. What makes you think I'm going to listen to yours? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. I'm stealing that. You should make that to like a bumper sticker or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you raised you raised a deep thinker there, Sita Fatipu. Very, very <laughs> impressive. He proud. doesn't actually think that much. He's just chanting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, some of the things he was he's been saying is are deep spiritual kind of things, and you know, impressive. Thanks for sharing all that, Pallad. Mm, yeah. I had a fun time, even Any, sleeping intense. Yeah. Any concluding words, Sita Pati Prabhu? Um, there's this kind of idea that's going around now that, you know, devotees don't do Harinam at protests. You know, I was in South America for three years and I, I did Harinams in like tear gas um, with bullets being fired around me. And I didn't understand anything that they were doing because the politics was so foreign to me that I was like, I don't know, man. I don't even know what the DNFI is, you know, whatever they have, have their signs, DNFI or whatever it is, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, if you didn't understand the language that people were speaking here, you know, you probably wouldn't get so um, fascinated with the details of it. It's like, I don't really care if there's just a whole lot of people here. And I'm going to just chant Hare Krishna. Um, Rupanuga Prabhu was a Mahatma Das the other day. He was saying, yeah, the first time I heard the Hare Krishna mantra was at a, a, an anti-Vietnam war um, protest, you know. Right. And 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 Rupanuga Prabhu said, yeah, we were just part of the scene. We were just did all those things. People just expected us to be there chanting Hare Krishna. We are apolitical in the sense, you know, well, someone said to me, would you do a uh, Harinam at a pro-vaccine mandate protest? <laughs> Good First of all, there isn't such a thing, right? But if there was, I, I said, it's more like this. If devotees went to a pro-vaccine mandate protest and did Harinam there, would I put out a press release denouncing them? And the answer is, of course not. I might not go there and do it myself, but it's like, if you want to go and chant Hare Krishna, good. Everyone right. should chant Hare Krishna. Right, right. That's a good point. And, and then how do I deal with, you know, you know, the, the local GBC denouncing us and everything? And it's like, 
Um, my Guru Maharaj was kicked out of ESCON, you know, in 1986, along with Kirtan and Swami and Parambhava. Bhakti Tirta Swami also either kicked out or left. I can't remember exactly how that happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of innovations have taken place in ESCON. Radhanath Swami as well went out at that time. Lots of innovations in ESCON have taken place with people who have had to go outside the institution, do the innovation, and then come back and they get recognized in the future. But I don't really care, you know. I'm just, like, doing what I do. And, and I'm just doing the same thing I've done for the last 25 years, which is I don't make a political consideration that says, you know, because of these political reasons, you should not chant Hare Krishna. I've just never done that, and I'm not about to start now. That's a really good point. I agree with that. Everywhere there should be chanting, no matter what. That, that Provax examples is good. Anything to yeah. add? Yeah, I mean, I feel like in this day and age, it's been quite eye-opening to see how how political devotees are becoming outwardly. And it's shocking, you know, because it almost seems like it comes before their Krishna consciousness. It's like, if you do this, you can't be a devotee. And, and like, we look really dumb if we, you know, show that we're following this or that. And then all the things about the vaccines, like it's, it's quite worrying to see that these things are stopping us, you know, temples closing, closing because of this. And it's just discouraging really to see, devotees fighting about things. It's like, wow, you're seeing the effects of Kali Yuga right in front of your face. We're, we can't go to the temple. We're being told to stop, you know, chanting Hare Krishna in these public places, you know, like all these things. It's like Kali Yuga is just showing, like, how can it be anything else than that? Um, and so, yeah, it's really inspiring to, to, to hear your story and what you've been going through and to know that there are devotees who are still keeping it real and, you know, trying to still be devotees despite what Kali Yuga throws at you. I feel like I've become more political because I, uh, I've come to appreciate like that there's freedoms that we all should have freedom of religion, freedom of medical, medical freedoms, all these different things. So that's what makes me feel that I've become more political mm. in these times. Not that I want to, kind of push a certain agenda or a certain political party or but something stand like that. Up but, for your... but stand up for freedom is is my thing. That's what I really appreciated hearing the story of your wife, Parambhava, because, you know, she could have just taken the easy route of accepting the different treatments that were being put you know, suggested to her. And many people would say, oh, why didn't she just do that? That would have been the easy thing. And she would, maybe she would have done this, that, or the other, or lived for longer. But she was so, you know, determined in this is my belief and this is what I want to follow. And you all supporting her in that. And that's really encouraging and kind of empowering to see that you can stick to your beliefs and you know whatever the outcome that's what's meant to happen and Krishna's with <laughs> you that whole way yeah. and you know for you both to be so positive and encouraging throughout her experience and her journey is just is I mean you know I didn't say much during I was just listening but it was really really inspiring very inspiring yeah. makes me think you know how do I want to live my life and and kind of 
if I come into that moment, like how will I respond? Will I also crumble or will I say, no, actually, this is not what I believe and I can push for my beliefs. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've worked in the medical field and I know like these pathways for getting things approved, it can be so difficult. And I I wanted to applaud you for having a pathway made for devotees to, um, you know, get a blood transfusion from another devotee in in your country that's really amazing and 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 you know should be applauded and yeah there, i'm sure there's many other things like that that if people just realize krishna's on our side and if we really push for our beliefs then how can we fail you know even if it looks like a failure it's not because it's meant to happen one of my biggest fears is is you know family members dying mm. and to hear your story brought me hope that there is a way via Krishna consciousness and 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 our philosophy and our practices to actually overcome fears like that. Mm. That's, I haven't seen that lately just because, you know, it's not many people go through it in the way that you all did and to share your story and, and things like that. So thank you again. Yeah, it was, she was, it was savage. She was savage. Yeah. It was just like this uncompromising, savage stand for it. And I was like, this is how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like um, <clears throat> that attachment to your family members in Krishna consciousness, it is the perfection of life. Mm. To be attached to a Vaishnava is the perfection of life. Mm. And the fact that we do not die when these bodies die means that it is simply a scene change. And then I saw it, you know, our life beginning in this life. Yeah, it ended somewhat similarly to this in the past life. And in the next life, we'll be back. And we are the servants of Lord Vishnu on this planet. And we're here for the whole 10,000 years of the Sankirtan Leela here. We've got the season pass. There's no go back home, back to God here. It is like service, life after life. Mama Jamani Jamanishwade. Bhavatad Bhaktura Hitaki Tway. Yeah. Well, um, I think we can end there. Thank you, Pilad, so much for joining me. Thank you, Sita Padi Prabhu. Really appreciate it. Um, if you want to get in touch with Sita Padi Prabhu, um, probably put his contact here in the comments uh, when this thing, when this episode drops. Um, and uh, thanks, Tulsi, for joining. Appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah, it's great hanging right. out with both of you. Yeah. yeah, awesome. We'll do it again for sure. Okay, take care. Stay on. I'm just going to turn off the recording. Hi, everyone. Thanks Hi, for listening. Well. Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare